Yé Mounla. You're listening to Kao Karaman Evie, Kao Karaman, the English version. Kao Karaman is a podcast about the representation of the Caribbean in cinema and television. I'm your host, Patra M, and get ready to celebrate Caribbean culture with me. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 10, part 2. Yes, it's Wednesday. I decided to release episodes on Sundays and on Wednesday because I want to finish season 2 before the end of August. So there you have it. Let's get right into it. Green Days by the River is a film from Trinidad and Tobago. It was directed by Michael Mulida and it was released in 2017. It received the Public Choice Award and the Best Film Award at the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival in 2017. It also won the Carmichael Award for Outstanding Storytelling at the Barbados Independent Film Festival. It's an adaptation of the novel Green Days by the River, written by Michael Anthony and released in 1967. You can stream the film on Vimeo and on storyplay.tv. Here's the summary on the Vimeo page. Set in 1952, the story centers on the 15-year-old boy Shelley, whose poor but closely knit family has recently relocated to a village in the Mayaro region of Trinidad, with his father seriously ill. Shelley acquires a surrogate father figure in the wealthy plantation owner, Mr. Gadari, and he finds himself torn between Gadari's seductive half-Indian daughter, Rosalie, and the more down-to-earth charms of out-of-town girl, Joan. But does Shelley really have a choice, or has a trap been laid for him from the very beginning? When I first watched the film Green Days by the River, I was very excited. I even talked about it on Twitter because this film highlights some something I've been complaining about for years and I know I'm not the only one. It's the lack of common references on the representation of black teenagers and more specifically Afro-Caribbean teenagers. I'm talking about coming-of-age stories featuring black teenagers that focus on being a teenager and trying to figure out your way into adulthood. What are the signs, what are the rites of passage that Caribbean teenagers go through in the 50s? This is what we're going to talk about in the first Caribbean Connection. The Caribbean Connection segment is to discuss how a film makes me reflect on my identity as a black woman, as an Afro-Caribbean woman, as a Guadeloupean woman, and as a French woman. So before we dive into the film, I think I need to explain a few things so you can understand my perspective. When we talk about the 50s and the 60s in French cinema and television, it's a time when Guadeloupe had just become a département, which means a French overseas territory. Technically, Guadeloupean people have the same citizen rights as people living in continental France. 
Yet some people still wanted independence. The unemployment rate was high, so the French government organized the migration of Guadeloupian youth to France, to continental France. The Bumidum was created. Bumidum means Bureau to develop immigration from overseas departments. The Bumidum ran from 1963 to 1981. Let me say that again. The Bumidum ran from 1963 to 1981. I wouldn't compare it to the Windrush situation because, again, technically, since Guadeloupe was already a département, Guadeloupian people were officially French citizens. So they already had the legal right to live in France, in continental France. Anyway, think I'm not saying that they were not treated like foreigners, though. Yeah, I think I've already mentioned it, but there's this beautiful film called Omadiana written and directed by Constant Rodubois. It was released in 1979. It shows exactly the many struggles people from Guadeloupe and Martinique went through back then. And it's very similar to what we have today. Anyway, back to my point. If you want to talk about the representation of French Caribbean youth in French cinema, there was only one reference for a very long time. It was Rue Casnegre, Sugar Cane Alley, directed by Ezan Palsy, and it was released in 1981. The story is set in Martinique in the 1930s. So back then, Martinique was still a colony. Then Jean-Claude Barney managed to bring to the screens a contemporary representation of French Caribbean youth with Neg Marron, it was released in 2005. I talked about this film in episode 6 of the podcast. So you can go back if you want to refresh your memory or if you haven't listened to it yet. But you see, there was nearly 25 years between both films. Meanwhile, in Haiti, Richard Senecal managed to create three classics. Barricade, I talked about it in my episode 4. I Love You, Anne, and its sequel. Although these films are centered around teenagers in the early 2000s, you get to see the different social dynamics in Haitian society. But a coming-of-age story isn't just about social, economical, and political issues. It's about showing a lifestyle. And if it weren't for literature, I'd have no idea of how Guadeloupian youth lived in the 50s, 60s, and the 70s. In Green Days by the River, we get a glimpse of what the daily life of a teenager in Trinidad was in the 50s. I say a glimpse because the book is about a specific part of the population, the rural youth. I mean, the title itself is the first indication that the story will be probably in the countryside of Trinidad. 90% of the story takes place in the village of Mayaro. In the novel, there might be like four or five scenes set by the sea, but the characters are either in the forest or by the river or indoors. Yet 
author Michael Anthony does give us a few scenes where Shelley is in a big city, whereas the film adaptation keeps Shelley in this countryside boy image all the time. In the novel, Shelley goes to Port of Spain and Sangre Grande for the countryside boy that he is. It's a big adventure and there are long descriptions of what he sees and how overwhelmed he feels in these cities. We get to read about the urban life of Trinidad in the 50s. In the film, Sangre Grande doesn't appear and the moments Shelley spends in Port of Spain are mostly indoors. So I get it. It takes a lot of money to recreate a city street from another time era, but I think it was important to note that the novel shows us the difference of atmosphere between the busy life in the big cities and the quiet life in the countryside that Shelley is used to. The film cares a lot about showing the beautiful green landscapes, which is a nice change from the usual beach setting you get when mainstream media talk about the Caribbean. However, there's this one important scene which takes place on a slope behind Shelley's house in the book and the film makes this scene take place on the beach. Again, I get it, it would have been difficult to shoot the scene on a slope, but it was so important for the characterization of Shelley because in the book, he gets to show Joan that he knows how to use a cutlass. The cutlass is a way for him to affirm his manhood. Now, truth be told, I'm not sure if it's only about manhood. I think you can extend it to adulthood. I don't want to spread the narrative that Caribbean women don't use the cutlass because it's simply not true. Caribbean women worked in sugarcane fields, in banana fields, in cocoa fields, and just in general, Caribbean women usually had a cutlass for the garden, especially at that time. The cutlass was a tool, but it was also a weapon that enslaved people used during revolts. It's such an element of Caribbean culture that it became martial art, as you can see in the Haitian film documentary Papa Machette, directed by Jonathan David Kane, released in 2014. And that's the thing. In Caribbean films that I've watched so far, the cutlass is shown as a tool and a weapon only men use. For instance, in Sugarcane Alley, by Ozan Palsy. There are a few scenes shot in sugarcane fields. You see men cutting the sugar canes and you see women and children picking up the canes and bringing the canes to the men who will take the canes to the factory. You see men using the cutlass but not the women and even less the kids. However, in the last sequence of the film, there's a crowd of workers witnessing a character being taken away by the police and you see women standing with a cutlass in their hands. So they were more likely cutting the canes and stopped to watch the character. All of this to say that the cutlass in the 50s remained an object to mark 
the passage from childhood to adulthood for a man, as well as the fact of passing from the short pants to long pants. Now, if the story took place with a city boy in the 50s, would the cutlass have had the same importance? Maybe, but probably not in the same way, because the story takes place 10 years before the independence of Trinidad. So the cutlass for a city boy could have been a symbol to fight injustice, to claim freedom, but it would certainly not have the importance that it has in defining the character of Shelley as a man, which is the whole purpose of this story, to show the journey of becoming a man. For Shelley, you can see him physically becoming a man when he uses the cutlass and he wears long pants. In the novel, we see him socialize with other boys like they meet around a mango tree for the first time. Can we get more Caribbean than that? Although the film doesn't have many scenes with Shelley and his friends, or at least not as much as we get in the novel, you do see them grow up. At the beginning of the story, they socialize around a mango tree. At the end of the story, they socialize around a bottle of rum. Personally, I think that the film does a good job of conveying the idea that alcohol is a rite of passage for the time while holding the politically correct discourse of today, which is that drinking too much alcohol is bad for your health. When I read the book, I wondered how the subject would be treated without incenting alcohol consumption. That being said, even this element shows the Caribbean context. In a typical coming-of-age film, teenagers drink beer, maybe vodka or whiskey. Rum would have been exotic for them. Here, rum is the norm because we're in the Caribbean. Anyway... In the novel, Shelley gets drunk every time he drinks with his group of friends. But when I say he gets drunk, I mean he blacks out every time. And that's what will lead him to make his ultimate choice. The one that will make him finally enter the world of adults. That's my interpretation. The film makes this interpretation possible because it explicitly states the reason why Shelley drinks so much. His father is seriously ill and I didn't realize that drinking in this situation could be a coping mechanism for Shelley because Shelley didn't realize it himself. The novel is written from the first person point of view. If Shelley doesn't tell us how he feels, we cannot guess. Especially since it's the point of view of a 15-year-old boy, it's hard to verbalize emotions at that age. But Anyway, his relationship with his father is absolutely adorable. When I told you in previous episodes that Caribbean fatherhood is undermined in fiction, here we have an example where the father is just perfection. The father gives him good advice and cares about him, not that the mother is absent. That may also be one of the aspects that is missing in the film. The novel shows how their little family is really tight. Both parents love each other. They love their child who loves them back. It's really good to see a positive representation of the Caribbean family. 
That's why I personally wouldn't say that Mr. Guidari is a substitute father figure. Mr. Guidari wants to establish himself as such, but Shelley is clear about who his father is and he still has a few opportunities to confront his father, which shows that he is becoming a man. For example, he refuses to indulge his father's tobacco addiction and won't give him cigarettes. When Shelley gets a job at the cocoa field, he refuses to listen to his father who wants him to go back to school instead. Becoming an adult is a process. For Shelley, it involves dressing up, drinking, getting a job and earning a salary like men. The final stage of this boy to man process is to experience his first love. Not that I think it's necessary to experience love to be a decent man, but that's what teen movies want us to believe. However, in Green Days by the River, it's not just about first love. The Shelley, Rosalie, Joan love triangle highlights the social, cultural, and racial dynamics in Caribbean societies that have experienced Indian immigration. And this is what we'll talk about in the next Caribbean Connection. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter. For more Caribbean films, books, and music reviews, check out my website, carocaramon.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carocaramon. If you want the podcast to get more visibility, you can give me five stars on Apple Podcast. Let me know if you enjoyed this episode. See you à dans le soleil. Ciao, bye.